Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. serve the Lord with gladness and um, we're, we're going to try and for the first few weeks of this this next term is not meet in our regular life groups during the week but rather just take some time together in the various serving teams that we're part of in order to um, make sure that when we serve together in all that and all that goes on on a Sunday and during the week that we excel in everything that we're doing we excel in everything actually for the glory of God that's because, because God doesn't deserve anything less than the very best that we can give. We, we, so we want to excel to glorify God. We want to excel to win people to Christ. You know, we want to be a people who are recognised as taking our God seriously. And um, David brought a word to the leaders a few months ago where he said that here in Market Harbour, we need to be ready to minister to hundreds of people. And we believe that. We're not, we're not hundreds of people this morning, but we will be soon. Amen. And we need to be prepared, not just for those of us who have a leadership function within the body, but all of us Amen. need to be ready to minister to hundreds of people. Yeah. And so this morning, I want to set a biblical context for our serving, and so that we can encourage all of us to consider serving in the body of Christ, serving in the house of God as a normal part of Christian life. And for all of us to be able to be involved in everything that's ahead. Is that okay? Yeah, good. Excellent. You've said the right thing. <laughs> then, then later on this month, at the team nights, we're going to talk a little bit more about, about the why, but also the how. So we're going to gather together in the Hot Rock team, and in the worship team, and in the hospitality team, in order to talk, yes, about, about the why we're doing this, but also in practical terms for us here, meeting in this building and all the things we do during the week, the, the how we go about doing it uh, and excelling in all that we do. There's a joke you may have heard. I've told it. I think I've told it here. And it goes like this. It goes like this. It says, it says, why is the church like a helicopter? Because if you get too close, you'll get sucked into the rotors. <laughs> yeah, and... You know, that kind of makes us giggle a little bit. It's, it's, yeah, that's a quite a funny joke. Um, yeah, it's, it's amusing, but actually it's also really dishonouring. <laughs> it, it's really dishonouring to all it is to be part of a body serving God. So we can kind of titter it a little bit, but that's not what it's like at all to be part of a lively Christian community. Okay? Serving on a rotor, being part of the body and active in that way is not something to run away from. <laughs> but rather something to be embraced. It's not a bad thing no. to be on a rotor in the local church. And, you know, we do operate a set of rotors in the church. And, and part of us thinks that, oh, running, running rotors, all your spreadsheets and all that stuff, it's, it's a new 20th century thing or 21st century thing. But it isn't. Rotors are as old as the hills. And um, 
Rotors are there for, not for their own purpose, but rather to bring order to the things that we're doing. And uh, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, a chapter we know, know well, says, be sure that everything is done properly and in order. That's everything is done properly and in order. We don't turn up with a sense of, we're going to wing it and see what happens. When, when we have got time and ability to say, we're going to make plans and make sure that everything is done well and in order. That's really important to us. It's, it's, it says something about the way we worship God, that we don't wing things in his presence. Sure, we want to be receptive to the Holy Spirit at work within us, and we believe that when he leads us in our gatherings, as we believe he does, that things will happen that we haven't prepared for and haven't planned for. That's not what we're talking about at all. Rather, what we're talking about is the things that make the body function together and allow room for the Holy Spirit to minister. They're the things that we can get right and, and excel in. So could you grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 22? So I just want to show you a couple of things from the Old Testament, first of all. I actually want us to look at 1 Chronicles 22 to 1 Chronicles 27. Now, you'll be delighted to know we're not going to read all of this. But what I want to do is, is just um, set a bit of context and then just have you skim through and see what it is that we're looking at this morning. So 1 Chronicles 22, it tells us about the time when, when King David, who has been serving as the king in Israel for a number of years. He's an older man. He wants to build a great temple for God. But God says to him, you're not going to build the temple. Your son is going to build the temple. So what David does is he goes ahead and says, right, given my son is going to build a temple, I'm going to assemble everything he's going to need in order to to build it. He's going to do all the planning and all the preparation in order that Solomon can build the temple. And we won't get into it now, but if you start to read the amount of material and precious metal that David had assembled thousands of years ago, it it will blow you away. We're not going to get into that. Rather, what we are going to get into is just looking, skimming through the next few chapters from 22 to 27. Because these chapters are packed full of detail of duties that need to be undertaken in the temple and packed full of details of people who are going to undertake those duties. This is an Old Testament rota. <laughs> Seriously, that's what it is. The people have been divided up, they're the body of believers, been divided up and appointed into different roles and tasks and functions that need to happen in order to ensure that these people are a worshipping people. So within there, there are rotors and instructions for for builders, for priests, for musicians, for gatekeepers, for people involved in the treasury, for people involved in the military, and people who are managing the royal estates. It's all in there. There are people, specific people, designed to specific tasks. Not just that, they were not on duty every single week. It It was a proper rotor. And so there are weeks when, when one tribe of people is responsible and there's another week when another group of people is responsible. And that's, that's exactly what we find in 1 Chronicles. You know, we have not invented the rotor. 
In fact, you know, we, we've got our rotors on church suite. This would have melted church suite down. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have got an error 404. This page cannot be found. The system would have broken. There are so many people involved here on David's rotors that it, it, it blows your mind away. But I want to show you something else about these Old Testament rotors. And it's a tiny detail that's recorded for us, but it tells us an awful lot about the attitude of the people who are serving on those rotors. Just flick a few pages to 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 11. 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 11. says this, then the priests left the holy place. All the priests who were present had purified themselves, whether or not they were on duty that day. All the priests who were present had purified themselves, whether or not they were on duty that day, whether or not it was their turn on the rotor. And um, in the NIV, it says that they purified themselves regardless of their divisions. Okay. When it's talking about divisions there, it's not talking about whether they'd fallen out or not. It's not that. They're rotor divisions. You know, this team is serving this week, this team is serving another week. Regardless of their divisions, they were there ready to serve. They were there ready to be part of things. They weren't taking a week off. They were prepared. You know, as part of a body of believers, there are no weeks off. We, we might have a bit of a joke every now and then. One of the things that Stephen teases me about, I know he's teasing me though, is, 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 is when, he, when he's not speaking, when he's not hosting, he says, oh, I've got a week off, I've got nothing to do, I can just sit there. And, he's, and he's, he says that to wind me up because he knows that's completely the opposite of what is true in the body of Christ. There are no weeks off for any of us. We're all part of the body. And uh, you might say, well, that was okay for those priests in 2 Chronicles 5, because they were the priests, eh? Yeah, that's... But no! <laughs> Peter writes and tells the church, but you are a royal priesthood. Yeah. You are a holy nation. There's no hiding place from this. We are the priests. Yeah. <laughs> Can you see the correlation between the Old Testament priests being ready and prepared every time the body gathers, yeah. regardless of whether or not they're on duty? Yeah. And... The body of Christ today in this setting, a royal priesthood, all, be, all being ready, all being prepared, all being good to go. That says a lot about an attitude of servanthood, the way we serve God and the way we serve one another. And, you know, that attitude is perfected in the life of Jesus. We read that famous passage in, in Philippians 2, talks about Jesus um, having having a mindset whereby he made himself nothing and took the very nature of a servant. Our Lord Jesus, who now reigns as our king, came to this earth to serve people in, in a very lowly fashion at times. That's what he did. And we're, so, we're told that we need to be like him. So we see that the idea of serving as a body believers is as old as the hills. It's modelled in the life of Jesus. So, so what does that mean to us today in Market Harbour? And I want to introduce us to three people or sets of people that we read about in the book of Acts. 
and look at the various ways in which they served the body and why these accounts of people can give us confidence today in 2017 to keep serving among this body of believers. Is that okay? So let's look at these, these three snapshots I've got to show you. And the first one is a snapshot of a man named Philip. And so we read about Philip in Acts chapter 6. So can we flick there? We're going to read a little bit about Philip. Acts chapter 6. We're just going to read the first seven verses. Everybody there? Acts chapter 6, verse 1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, that's the original apostles, called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everybody liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So here we are. We meet Philip for the first time in, in Scripture. And he's described as a man who is full of the spirit and wisdom. And the situation at the time was, was the apostles had a problem. They had a practical issue in the church that needed dealing with. And um, they came up with this solution. They wanted to set some men in to, to deal with this problem quite specifically. And the apostles took this task very seriously. You could tell they took the task very seriously because they gathered the men together and they laid their hands on them and they commissioned them to, to go and do the work. The work itself might have seemed quite menial, the work itself might have seemed quite unimportant. But in the eyes of the apostles, it was an enormous task. And they laid their hands on them and, and blessed those men as they started that role. Philip was a set-up guy. That's what he was. Whilst we're talking about, we read about him delivering a food programme, waiting on tables... He wasn't a waiter. He wasn't a dicky bow and silver platter. and you know, He wasn't a waiter. He was the guy who made things ready. He was the guy who made preparations, who did, did the legwork, did the donkey work, made, made things happen. Philip was the set-up guy. And there's, there's a word in this account that just really grabbed me and excited me. And it's in verse 7. It's a tiny word. So. Yeah. 
the setup guys have been set in. So God's message continues to spread. Because Philip was the setup guy, God's message continued to spread. Because Philip organised a food distribution, God's message continued to spread. Others were free to serve in their own areas of service. There's a real important principle for us here. Yeah, a really important principle. So, <laughs> don't miss it. Yeah, because Dave is the setup guy. God's message in Market Harbour continues to spread. Because Andy stacks chairs, God's message in Market Harbour continues to spread. Isn't that an amazing thing? Because Tilly looks after refreshments. God's message continues to spread. Every part of the body is vital for the message of God to spread. Let's not miss it. Because people are serving in Hot Rock this morning. God's messages continue to spread. Because Daz has looked after the technical equipment this morning. God's messages continue to spread. Isn't that great? That's the truth. That's the truth of God's word. Why have I picked out Philip out of those seven guys? as the chapter put in my snapshot this morning. It's actually because we know a little bit more about Philip than any of the others in terms of what happened to him after this. And later on in the book of Acts, we read about Philip, he's described as an evangelist. We know that he, uh, he had an evangelistic mir- uh, ministry. We know that he witnessed to that Ethiopian man and baptised him. We know that he went on to live in Caesarea. We know that he was a family man. We know that he had four daughters who were all full of the Holy Spirit and who prophesied. But on day one, Philip was a setup guy. He just rolled his sleeves up and gone with it. He was faithful in the small things. He just started serving. Let's look at snapshot number two. This is a married couple. And we meet them initially in Acts chapter 18. Their names are Priscilla and Aquila. Instantly recognisable on, uh, on my background up there. Let's turn to Acts chapter 18. Starting at verse 1, then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and the Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So we know a little bit about Priscilla and Aquila. We know that originally they lived in Rome and that they moved from Rome when it became um, impossible for them to continue living there. They got deported by by the Caesar uh, in Rome at the time. And they met Paul originally because they were tent makers and also believers. They, they, they shared a practical, um, a practical task. They, they had the same, did the same thing for a living. But they were also both believers in the Lord Jesus as, as Christ and, and as Saviour. And they became, became great friends with Paul. 
they committed themselves to Paul. They were under Paul's teaching in Corinth for, we read a bit later on, about 18 months initially, where Paul was teaching every day in, uh, in Corinth. Priscilla and Aquila became captured by the vision that Paul uh, was declaring. They were captured by what he was saying. So much so that when we skip down Acts chapter 18 and get to verse 18, we read that when Paul leaves Corinth, he takes Priscilla and Aquila with him to Ephesus. So um, the time span between Acts chapter 18 and verse 1 and Acts chapter 18 verse 18 is not two minutes later. It's a good few months later, at a time when Priscilla and Quill have been under Paul's teaching. But when Paul says, I'm now going to move on, and I'm going to tell other people the good news of Jesus, Priscilla and Aquila go with him, and they go with him to Ephesus. And we're told there that Paul leaves them there. He left them behind in Ephesus, and he travelled on further. But he left them there for a purpose. And we'll come on in a minute or two to look at what that purpose was. Skip down a bit further, Acts chapter 18, verse 24. It says this, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he only knew about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. So Priscilla and Aquila are, um, sorry, so, um, so Apollos was a guy who, who had heard about Jesus. He believed in Jesus, but didn't know anything of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And he's um, preaching a, um, a message of repentance from sins and, and belief in Jesus, uh, which is what has been described previously in the scriptures as John's baptism. You repent from your sins. Priscilla and Aquila meet him. They take him aside and say, no, but there's so much more than this. And yet they would have been drawing on the things that Paul had been teaching them about, the, about life in the Holy Spirit, about um, baptism in water being, being just part of the story, but baptism in the Spirit, bringing fullness of life to people, power for ministry, power for living. So these were people who were able to teach doctrine. These were people who had been so captured by the vision that Paul was, um, that, that Paul was teaching that they were able to teach it themselves to other people. We never read about Priscilla and Aquila being upfront Bible teachers. We never read, them, read about them being, um, you know, pre- preaching long sermons. That, that's not what they do. But we do read about them getting alongside people. We do read them having this kind of pastoral role, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. We next read about Priscilla and Aquila in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So have a quick flick there. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19. So this is when Paul is writing... Um, Paul has returned to Ephesus. He's now writing a letter to the church in Corinth. And he says, The churches here in the province of Asia send greetings in the Lord, as do Aquila and Priscilla, and all the ones who gather in their home for church meetings. Priscilla and Aquila are home group leaders. 
<laughs> They've got the church meeting in their home. Priscilla and Aquila are home group leaders. Sometime later, Priscilla and Aquila have returned to live in Rome. And Paul writes to the Roman church. And he says, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. And I'm thankful to them. And so are all the Gentile churches. Also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. (laughs) There were home group leaders in, in Ephesus. They've then moved house. And there's a church meeting in their house in Rome. That was Priscilla and Aquila's ministry. It's not necessarily an upfront preaching ministry, but it is a it is a vital task within each local church. The final reference we find to Priscilla and Aquila is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, right at the end of, of Paul's life. It's probably the, the last letter we think that Paul wrote. And he's writing to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, and he passes his greetings to Priscilla and Aquila. Timothy, by then, is probably leading the church in Ephesus. But as Paul writes back to Timothy, he says, do, do greet my friends who are now back with you. Because they were lifelong companions, ministry partners of Paul, devoting themselves to him. It says risking their lives for him. You know, if we are to be um, a devoted body of believers, devoted to one another, devoted to Christ, then we are ministry partners with one another in this town. And the thing is with devotion is you can't fake it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I read the account in there of Priscilla and Aquila and their devotion to Paul. And you think, well, that, you don't risk your lives for people you are not devoted to. You can't be devoted to somebody in word only, but not in deed. We read about Priscilla and Aquila being a devoted couple to Jesus Christ and to Paul, who, who, they, who they look to and, and, and draw, draw from. They are ministry partners with him. We're a group of ministry partners. That is why we're here in Market Harbour. You know, we, we believe that we're in Market Harbour to carry the name of Jesus to the town, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And these are the people that Jesus has drawn together to do that. <laughs> Look around you. Surprising, isn't it? <laughs> but this is it. We're ministry partners. Let's look at snapshot number three. And we're going to turn to Acts chapter 9, just turn back a little bit. And we're going to read a bit about a lady called Tabitha. So turn to Acts chapter 9, and uh, we're going to start reading at verse 36. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. 
But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda. So they sent two men to beg him, please come here as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them. And as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room and he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers and he presented to her sorry and he presented her to them alive the news spread throughout the whole town and many believed in the lord what an amazing thing this lady who was properly dead no bones about it properly dead if you're confronted with a dead body you have to make sure <laughs> that you know that person is properly dead. She was properly dead. And because of their faith in Jesus, they summoned Peter the Apostle, who commanded life into Tabitha. What an amazing thing. Tabitha was a believer. Tabitha was known for being kind and for helping the poor. She was serving. She was serving the body. But, you know, there's no title given to what she did. She was just full of kindness, devotion to the body, generosity. Not necessarily generosity in, in, in money, but generosity in what she could do and, and her ability. You know, if you were to try and pin down what kind of gift she had, I would say she certainly had some kind of pastoral gift. Yeah, looking for people, caring for people. But actually, in terms of how she's described here, um, a lady who is being kind and helping the poor, that's, that's not a job <laughs> that, we give a, that we give a title to, in that sense. But, you know, it's a really important function within a body of believers that there are people who have a kind and generous and devoted nature to help other people. And um, when Peter came to that room, he was met um, by a wall of testimony to Tabitha's life. Just imagine. Met to a testimony of her kindness and her devotion to other people. It says that the widows and the believers bought, bought garments that Tabitha had made. Last winter, when it was really cold... And I couldn't keep my children warm. This is what she bought for me. Oh, there was this time when my circumstances were like this. And look, this is what she did for me. <laughs> Tabitha had a great testimony of serving within the church and serving others. These garments that were brought were, were like, like little trophies. <laughs> trophies of the grace of God through Tabitha, to all the people that she encountered. Trophies of grace. What trophies of grace will there be for us? You know, we might not know in our lifetime the trophies of grace 
that, that we have won. Yeah? We, Tapitha was doing a, a, a little thing. It looked like a little thing. She wasn't the preacher. She wasn't the apostle. She was just serving the church. And there were these trophies of grace that were being lifted up again. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. I, I wonder whether after Jesus has come again, we might meet people who said, I am saved because of something you served me with. I'm saved because actually you just invited me along to, to a curry night, which led to me getting to know people in the church, which led to me getting to know Jesus. And there it is. It's a trophy of grace. We have done the little thing at the start. Just imagine that. We don't need a title to serve like that. We don't even need a rotor to serve like that. <laughs> we just need willing hands and feet. And yeah, in Market Harbour, we are in a period of growth at the moment. Almost everybody who is part of this body, and that's a really good and a really healthy thing to see, that's what we believe um, the Bible says about the way the church should function, that everybody is serving, that everybody has a part to play. But, you know, as um, people are added to the body, as people are saved and join us and uh, want to start serving, we need to step up in everything that we're doing. Yes. You know, one of the things that really makes you think is the day of Pentecost, when it says that the believers were gathered in the upper room and the Holy Spirit fell on them, and Peter preaches, and 3,000 people were added to the church. What would that do to your rotor system? <laughs> when people are added to the church in number, there will be an enormous step up that all of us needs to, needs to take, for, for every one of us. And we need to prepare ourselves right now to minister to hundreds of people. This is part of the normal Christian life. This is what it is to a believer, be a believer. We don't believe in a model of the church whereby your full-time pastor or leader or minister or whatever you call him is the guy that does everything and everyone else turns up once a week to see how well he's doing. That's not the church. The church, the normal Christian life, is where all of the body is playing a vital part. So are we ready? What could we step up in right now What's holding us back? Are we afraid to commit ourselves to serving further in the body of Christ? Ah, oh, well, if I commit to this, it means that when my children have a party on a Sunday, they won't be able to go. Ah, oh, but if I commit to this, it means that if I have a late night on a Saturday, I can't lie in on a Sunday. Well, if I commit to leading a life group, well, that means that at some point during the week, I might need to think about what we're going to do. <laughs> which is true. Which is true. 
I'm going to lose out my free time. This verse, I think, is key for us. It's so simple. In Matthew chapter 6, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. He doesn't actually say he'll give you everything you want. (laughs) He'll give you everything you need. But what a great thing to be in the care of the one. He will give us everything we need. So we're all part of the body. All of the time. (laughs) And I want to finish today by reading this account in... um, this description in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 of what it is to be part of the body and, and serving together. And we've read this quite recently and I don't apologise for reading it again because I believe it's, it's a word for us right now as this body of believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 12. This is Paul writing, he says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptised into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many parts, but not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, well, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would it make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body was an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honourable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, whilst the more honourable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honour and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honoured, all the parts are glad. All of you are Christ's body, and each of you are a part of it. And I would add, All the time. (laughs) So can I encourage us over this next few weeks to make sure that we are are there on these team nights, that we're present. If we're part of a serving team already, then definitely be there. Clear your diary. Make no excuses. It is really important for us to excel in all that we're doing. If you're not part of a serving team yet, but would like to be, or if you'd like to start serving in other areas of ministry, which is a win-win, because we're freeing up other people to serve in different areas of ministry. 
so the body grows, so the church grows, so the message of God increases. If that's you, if you're not yet in the serving team, come and let us know. We would, we would love to make sure that there is a place for everybody to serve. I hear the final thing, back to where we started. Serve the Lord with gladness. <laughs> Serving the Lord is not a chore. Serve the Lord with gladness. And actually one of the things that brings joy to serving the Lord is serving the Lord in community. Not in isolation. You know, we, we don't believe in a church that adheres to the 80-20 rule. You know, 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. That's, that's not 1 Corinthians 12. Yeah? We believe in a church, in a body, where every part of the body has its function and is flourishing in it with gladness. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.